Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to join us in our message series and dive deeper into what God's Word has for us today. Today, as we move through the series, I'm going to be chatting with you, teaching about fasting uh, today as we open up. I know CT was starting off by talking a little bit about prayer, and over the next number of weeks, we're just looking at different spiritual habits or spiritual disciplines within your walk as we take just a few weeks to look at that. And I want to open up by just asking you a question this morning. The question is this, do you have areas in your life where you practice self-denial? Self-denial. It's interesting when you look at it at our lives as Americans in general, we don't practice self-denial very often. We actually practice a lot of self-indulgence, right? We, we, we really get all we want to, to eat. We have, we have everything at our fingertips. In a moment, I can order something on Amazon, and sometimes within 12 hours, it's on my front door. Like, and, and if you're in the, the fast food or you're in, fa- uh, in, in Starbucks line and it takes too long, we get frustrated because we want stuff now and we want it quick and we want it done well done right away. But are there areas of your life where you, you practice self-denial, not self-indulgence, but more self-denial where you regularly deny yourself what maybe you shouldn't have or even should have in, in essence training to be a follower of Jesus? It's Pretty awesome book, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, In the Cost of Discipleship, says this. If there is no element of self-denial in your lives, if we give free reign to the desires of the flesh, we shall find it hard to train for the service of Christ. When the flesh is satisfied, it is hard to pray with cheerfulness or to devote oneself to life of service which calls for much self-renunciation. And what he's getting at is if there's no areas within our lives that we practice self-denial, it will be hard for us to train for the cause of Christ because as you read scripture, what do you read? Take up your cross and deny yourself. To be a good husband, in in Ephesians chapter five, it says to wake up every day and see how I can die to myself to serve my wife like Christ loves the church. I mean, over and over again, there's this idea of self or self-discipline that Jesus calls us to. And if there's no area of your life with which you're pressing into that, it's going to be harder to train for the cause of Christ. And so the reason why I wanna chat with you today about fasting is because I think fasting is one of the areas with which God presses in on us to practice self-denial that we might conform more into the image of Jesus. I think it heightens our awareness. Last year, my wife and I, this January, will celebrate 15 years at Woodside. It's pretty awesome. My whole life, my whole ministry career has been at Woodside, from the Troy campus to the Lake Grand campus, back to the Troy campus, now at the Lake Grand campus again. And it's been fantastic, right? And so uh, after 15 years or so, almost in ministry, last summer, my wife and I took a sabbatical with our family. So I was off most of the summer. And uh, towards the end of it, we had planned this trip with our family where we were going to go out west, and we traveled out west. I should have brought a picture. Maybe I'll bring it for the second service. We lived in my four-door Jeep Wrangler for an entire month, just my family of five. No camper, no nothing. And it was epic. We went to 14 states, seven national parks, 6,500 miles, all over the place. It was unbelievable. One of my daughters is 13. We all lived in the back row of a Jeep Wrangler across America. It was amazing. And one of the things we practiced during that time, we lived in tents everywhere we went. 
And uh, one of the things we practiced is we wanted to drill down with our family. So we took an entire month where we just didn't use our phones. No social media, no text messages really. The only thing I carried my phone around on airplane mode so I could capture video and pictures, that's it. And you know what was amazing? What was amazing is I had an incredible time with my family, undistracted. Right? I mean, you, you think that we need all these things, but when I denied myself this, something happened. My awareness of what was present was heightened. I, I realized how, how amazing conversations I would have with my wife when I'm not distracted by my cell phone or my kids not being on, uh, on a device playing a game because they're bored, but just entering in. And, and our awareness of one another was heightened and our relationships was deeply, provo- profoundly uh, deepened. My wife was just, Sarah was just saying the other day, you know what I miss? I miss that. We saw some unbelievable places. We hiked some unbelievable hikes. But at the end of the day, what she missed was uh, an undistracted world where we entered in with one another. And I think the same thing's true about fasting. Here's a definition for you. Fasting confirms our utter dependence upon God by finding in him a source of sustenance beyond food. Finding in him, God, in Jesus, a sustenance beyond food. And what I want you to see today from Matthew chapter six, just a few verses that Jesus shares with us in the Sermon on the Mount, probably one of the most important texts of all of scripture, Matthew five, six, and seven, about fasting. I want you to see this. Live for the reward of heaven, not the praise of man. Live for the reward of heaven, not the praise of man. So if you wanna read it with me, I believe they may have it on the screen, they may not, but Matthew chapter six, verse 16, Jesus says this. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who is who sees in secret, excuse me, will reward you. So here in the center of the Sermon on the Mount, there's the very center, center structure of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus gives some real practical instruction on what I would call piety or, or righteous living, on how we're supposed to live. And he talks about three things. He talks about prayer, he talks about fasting, and he talks about giving to the needy or generosity, should I say, at the end of the day. And it's highly structured. So this is a sermon. We cut it up into different sermons, but this is one sermon at one time for Jesus. Here in the middle, it's highly structured. When he talks about prayer, fasting, and giving, it's a negative, don't be like the hypocrites. It's a positive, do it like this. And then there's a blessing, you'll be rewarded. Over and over and over again. You can see the structure that Jesus is laying out here. And I just wanna walk through them with you and show you three things today. And the first is in verse 16, that fasting can be hypocritical. That it can be hypocritical. If you've ever entered into fasting, you've ever done it, there's a high proclivity that Jesus says for our hearts to wander towards being hypocritical. This is what he says. When you fast, don't look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Now, I just want to point out to you at the beginning, this is free. You can write it down. Jesus assumes that everyone as a follower of him will fast. He doesn't say, 
if you fast, be careful of this. He says, and when you fast. Again, in verse 17, he says it again. When you fast. He's not, for Jesus, there's no question as to whether or not we enter into this spiritual discipline. It's something that as he taught his disciples, it was expected. He says, and when you fast. He doesn't say, man, if you feel like it or if you do or you don't, man, I just want to give you some quick pointers. He, he says, when you do. So to start from the very beginning, is fasting a spiritual discipline that you have ever entered into, that you've ever given weight to, that you've ever even tried, you stepped into? You know, at Woodside, a number of times throughout the year, at the beginning of the year, the first week of the year, we, we, we give a week of prayer at the church. And we, we call for people, to, if, they would, if they would choose to enter into fasting, we give out little booklets as to how you can do that and what that looks like. And maybe, maybe this is a challenge for you from the Lord that you might just need to maybe even step in at the end and say, man, this is something I need to look into because there's an expectation that Jesus wants. You know, so many times we... We worry about the big things of life. Like, man, where, where am I supposed to work? And who's my spouse supposed to be? And where am I supposed to go to college? And all these different big things we question and mull over. And the rudimentary things here in Scripture we skip over. The known will of God is right here in the Word of God. And oftentimes we skip over it because we choose not to enter into small things like fasting. And Jesus says, not when. He says, not if, he says, when you fast. He says, don't be like a hypocrite. Now, I don't know if you know, who, who's Jesus talking about here when he talks about the hypocrite? Anybody? The Pharisees, absolutely. The Pharisees were um, actually great people. They were actually the conservatives of their day. They were really good at following the law. They made laws to make sure they didn't break the laws, Right? And so they, they did every effort because they thought the kingdom of God was going to be brought about by their following of the law in their holiness, right? But Jesus says, don't be like the hypocrites. I don't know about you, but when I grew up in church, I thought of a hypocrite. I was always told a hypocrite was someone who lived one way at church. Man, you had it all together. You looked good. But then when you went home or when you went to work or you went somewhere else, you lived contrary to that. You lived differently. So you're one way in one setting and another way in another setting. Do you know that's not Jesus' definition of a hypocrite? The definition of Jesus and a hip, as a, of a hypocrite in, in the Sermon on the Mount is different. It's quite different, actually. At the end of the day, he's talking about the Pharisees, and the Pharisees were good at doing all the time, whether they're in home or whether they're in the marketplace, wherever they were, they were following the law. To Jesus, a hypocrite was somebody who was not a holistic being, where their hands served the Lord and their heart was in tune with the Lord. The whole point of the Sermon on the Mount, I'll give you it away at the beginning, is the disposition of one's heart. Throughout the whole text, Jesus is teaching that you are to live as a holistic being, not just externally like the Pharisees, but also with your heart in tune with the Lord. And what he's getting at is it's really easy to do all of the religiosity things in our lives, like praying and fasting and giving and doing all of that, while your heart is still far from the Lord. And what he's saying is, don't be like the hypocrites who want to look on the outside like they got it all together. Rather, be a holistic person, follower of Jesus, where your heart also loves the Lord. It's not just about the applause of man. It's about where your heart is with the Lord. You can see that in 
the beginning of chapter six, he says this, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have your reward from your father, for then you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven. The end of the day, Jesus' heart in the matter is that you would be righteous people, holistic people. And righteousness in Matthew chapter five, six, and seven, I'll come back to this in a moment, is not the imputed righteousness of Christ that you got when you gave your life to Christ. What, what is being talked about here is right living. Right living. I'll show you that in a moment. But what he's talking about is like, be, be, beware of practicing your righteousness. He's not saying practicing your imputed righteousness. You're right living before other people that you might get their applause from them. But what does he say about Giving to the needy, he says, thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the, seek, in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they will have no reward. He says the same thing then about prayer in verse five. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogue and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. And then he goes down to, to the same thing within fasting. He says, Make sure your heart is right. There's no point at the end of the day is what he's getting at. If you are going into fasting or any other spiritual discipline to gain the applause of others that looks like you got it all together, you are missing the whole point, Jesus is saying. The point is your heart with the Lord. Now, it's interesting. The, the Pharisees would fast two days a week, Monday and Thursday. They said, because that was the day that Moses ascended on Mount Sinai to get the law and he descended. So they said, these are spiritual days, we're gonna do it. Wouldn't you know that Mondays and Thursdays were the highest number of people in the market for them to be seen by? It's interesting. Because they were hypocritical. They wanted to be seen by others and be applauded for it. And we have to be careful when we enter into any spiritual discipline, for that matter, specifically with, hypocrit with, with hypocrites, with fasting. Jesus knew there was a proclivity of our heart to be drawn towards wanting other people to be seen or seen by other people. I think there's another way we could be hypocritical in fasting is that when we fast, we believe that we're, we're, not, we're not necessarily seeking the favor of God, but we're we're actually seeking something different. That we're actually trying to be seen by God by not eating or drinking or whatever so that we can somehow get God's attention for his favor rather than just experience his presence. And I just wanna say it up front as we're talking about fasting. Fasting is not a tool to manipulate God to somehow guarantee divine intervention on certain situations. It's not a tool where, man, God, I have a, I have a wayward child and I long for them to come back to the Lord. And so I've been fasting, I've been fasting, I've been fasting and then they don't come back and we get mad at the Lord. Because fasting is not a genie in the bottle, a tool for manipulation that just because I'm fasting and I'm praying, God Almighty is ultimately gonna do whatever I say. That's not the point. We'll get there in a moment what the point is, but we can be hypocritical when we in our own heart and spirit are like, man, God, don't you see what I'm doing? Man, you look down and you're like, man, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. You think God looks down and be like, man, I'm proud of you, Jim. You haven't eaten in two days. I love you more today than I did yesterday. Man, I just wanna tell you good news. God loved you more before you were ever born than you can ever experience. When Christ died on the cross, you weren't even alive. All of your sins were present sins when Christ died on the cross and he loved you enough to give his life for you. There is nothing you can do to manipulate God, to make him love you more, 
give you more grace. You have all the grace that God has given you already. And he loves you more today than you'll ever know and experience in this lifetime until we see him face to face. And nothing you do changes that. He already loves you. Well, if you look, you kind of see some of the point here. In verse 17, it says, again, but when you fast. It doesn't say if you fast. Anoint your head and wash your face, verse 18, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And we'll talk about this at the end, but and your Father who sees you in secret will reward you. So the second thing I just want you to see is that fasting is about your heart. That's what I was already sharing. At the end of the day, it's about your heart. And you're like, man, where do you see that in that text, Jim? Well, I'm going to show you here in the holistic picture of the Sermon on the Mount. By Jesus saying here, to wash your face and to you know, um, and to anoint yourself. At the end of the day, Jesus is trying to say here that you should be pretty normal when you're fasting. You should act normal, right? At the end of the day, washing one's face and anointing one's head with oil was a normal practice in the ancient times. And and actually, when you anointed someone's face with oil, it, it would give a robust and healthy appearance to those looking on. And so what Jesus is saying is, that's what you normally would do, do the same thing. And what he's speaking out against is that you enter into the first of the year for Woodside and you, you're like, man, I'm gonna fast this week. And you come in on Sunday and you're like, oh. And you're just kind of dragging, hoping someone's gonna ask. Be like, man, you okay? No, I've been fasting all week, praying. Man, you look horrible. I know, I'm fasting. It's really tough. You post it on social media like, man, I just struggling out of bed today because I've been fasting for the Lord all week. This, this is what Jesus is saying. There's this, there's this brokenness in us that wants to, to live for the praise of men rather than the reward of heaven. And Jesus is saying, it should be pretty normal practice. You should look pretty good. You should carry yourself because in those moments of fasting, you should be experiencing the joy of the Lord that you've never experienced before. And he said, this should be normal, commonplace. At the end of the day, God intended fasting to be this holistic spiritual discipline involving inner and outer man, that there's a relationship to your bodies, to your soul. Name for me one other spiritual discipline that involves your body. I don't know of any. But you feel it, literally, physical hunger pains in this spiritual discipline. Because God has this idea that we are holistic beings and there's something amazing about fasting that gets to our actual bodies where I feel the hunger that I long for every day. And I get hungry as I, when I normally eat. So when I don't eat, man, I'm just like hungry. And you feel that, and there's something that God wants to do in that. And God's after something here. He's after the inner disposition of your soul, of your heart. Now, I'll just say, what, the whole point of Jesus saying don't like allow your face to, to look bad or whatever is there's a physical element to fasting. And I'll just say, don't, I don't want to offend anyone or upset anyone, but it's an important point that fasting in the Bible, in Scripture, always throughout the entirety of scripture always has to do with food or drink. One of the things that has replaced fasting within the church today is I'm gonna fast from social media and that's what I'm doing for my fast. I'm gonna fast from my cell phone. I'm gonna fast from something else. Those are all great practices, but those are more abstinence. 
or moderation, which should be practiced. True fasting, if your health, obviously we need to make sure that you're healthy enough to do so and all that, whether it's an hour, two hours, a day, two days, a week, a month, it don't matter. At the end of the day, true fasting got intended to be from food and water because there is a connection that goes into our body that is unlike anything else where I learn in those moments, I do not live by bread alone, but by every word from the mouth of the Lord. And, and my sustenance is not food, my sustenance is Jesus. What I'm sustained by is not food or drink or water, it's Jesus. There's something physical about it. And so I just press into you to say, man, it's great if, you're, if you take fast from other things, that's awesome. But Jesus calls us to something deeper, a little more profound in calling us to fast from food. And while the body's involved, what Jesus is ultimately after is the heart. I just want you to see that today. The whole point of the entire Sermon on the Mount, when you study it, I studied it in depth a couple years ago. I led the whole series that Woodside would do on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Man, it's profound when you study it. The the point of the entire Sermon on the Mount is is found in chapter five and verse 20. It says this, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And so when you look at that, I don't know about you, but man, I'm like, how does my righteousness exceed the scribes and the Pharisees? They were the best at following the law. They were the best of the best. They were the the people of the day. Imagine when they hear that. Imagine when his disciples hear that in that moment. And ultimately we read that and we're like, yeah, that's fine. Like I have the imputed righteousness of Christ. So of course mine exceeds them, right? I'm good. But that's actually not what Jesus is saying. I've already showed you that righteousness within Matthew chapter five, six, and seven, Jesus is specifically talking about right living, not your, your righteousness in your heart because Christ has covered you by his blood, right? So why would he say in, in chapter six and verse one, beware of practicing your righteousness before men. I can't practice my imputed righteousness. He's saying right living. And he's saying, man, how does your, 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 how are you going to exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees? He's making a point because the scribes and the Pharisees were the greatest at living externally before God. They followed the laws. They followed the best of the best. So when you read that, you're like, man, how will I ever exceed them? How will I ever go past them? And that's what he goes on to share throughout the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. That's why he's talking about external and exter- internal. He's saying the way in which you surpass the scribes and the Pharisees is that it's not just about your external hands doing all the right things, the right practices, giving to the needy, praying, fasting. He says the way in which you surpass the scribes and the Pharisees is that you have a heart that loves the Lord. You're a holistic being internally and externally I mean, come on, I just want to show you the example as he's, he's writing. He says, man, when you give to the needy, right? He says, but when, in verse three, when you give to the needy or you, you're generous in general, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Do you honestly, I, I've heard that text uh, misconstrued so much over my life. Do you honestly think that Jesus is like, man, don't let your left hand see, like, Nope, don't look, I'm putting in the offering plate. Don't look, left hand. 
No, he's using hyperbole to get his point across. He's saying at the end of the day, don't let your heart be wrong in giving in the plate that you might be seeing by others or giving to the needy on the street corner. The same thing about prayer as you jump down. Man, he says in verse six, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who's in secret and your father who's in secret will reward you. Does that mean that everyone this morning was wrong for praying publicly? That we shouldn't pray in public anymore? No, Jesus is saying at the end of the day, it's about your heart. And if your heart struggles with trying to come up, as he says next, with big words, and we use all these big names of God in our, in, in our prayer. Anybody else been there? You know it's your turn to prayer. It, pray, it's coming up soon. You're rehearsing your mind. What am I gonna say? How am I gonna say it? People are listening. See, this is what Jesus is getting at. He's saying, it's not about big words. It's not about the things you say to me. I already know what's in your heart. What the point is, is that your heart would be in tune with me and you would pray, yes, but your heart would long to talk to me and pray to me. The yes you'd give to the needy because I call you to that and you'd be generous with those around you. But at the end of the day, your heart would wanna do that, not just to be seen by people, but because you love the Lord. And when you fast, he says it's not about the external. It's not about religious stuff we do. That stuff's good. But only if our heart is in tune with the Lord and longs to experience him and know him in greater capacities. This is the point that Jesus is getting at. Where's your heart? Don't just fast to fast. Fast because you long to be rewarded by the God of heaven to experience him in profound and deeper levels. This is what Jesus is getting at. That's the last thing he shares in verse 18, that fasting is rewarded. He says at the end of 18, and your father who sees in secret will, be, will reward you. And he says that about giving to the needy. He says that about prayer. And now he says the same thing about fasting, that it is rewarded. What I love is that God relates to us in this text in, in, in fasting as our father. Our father. I don't know what your upbringing is like. I don't know what you've experienced in an earthly father. But over the last year, I've done a, uh, quite a bit in my sabbatical in counseling and dealing with my own heart before the Lord. And one of the things I've grown to learn in myself and other people is that often we can cast the negative traits of our heavenly or of our, of our earthly father on our, our heavenly father. So if you're someone here today that you had to earn the love of your father, like it just wasn't freely given. Like when you constantly just had to live up to something or accomplish something to make your dad proud or love you. I just wanna speak against that. God is not that God. Your heavenly father is a father like Romans 5, 8 says that God demonstrates his own love for us while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That while we were still sinners, before we were ever born, God loved you so much he sent his son to die for you. You didn't have to earn it. There's nothing you did to earn a thing. There's no identity that you have in Christ that you did anything to get. He loved you so much he just loved you. You got it. You don't have to dance for God. He already loves you. And because he's your father, he has your best in mind. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to earn his love. His relationship with you is so good that he longs to give you good gifts. I love what he, Jesus says just a couple chapters later in Matthew chapter seven. 
He says, if you then who are evil, not saying you're evil, but if you're just like earthly dads who are not perfect like God, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give gifts to those who ask him? That God is so good, if you have an amazing earthly father, God is a billion times greater than that father, and he longs to reward you. He longs to meet you. This is the kind of God we have. And so he says, do this in secret. Because your father who's in secret sees your heart. I'll tell you, one of the scariest things in scripture is that God sees you in secret. There's nowhere you can hide. Your wife might not know. Your kids might not know. Your neighbor might not know. Your coworker might not know. Your boss may not know. But God knows. And at the end of the day, the positive is that, is that God knows your heart. And at the end of the day, he says, man, I know there's this, this prone in you or this, this draw in you to live for other people and care what they think of you. And at the end of the day, I want to speak against that. So if it's so troublesome for you at the end of the day, it is about our hearts. But if you enter into fasting and it is troublesome for you because you like to hear people think that you're spiritual, don't tell us all. That's what Jesus is saying. But at the end of the day, it's not a law. It's just about your heart. And the reward, or the, the, the result is the reward. So what is the reward that he's speaking of? It's pretty simple, actually. The reward for giving and praying and fasting is found in giving and praying and fasting. The reward you receive for being generous is in the act of generosity. The reward you receive in praying is in the act of praying. The reward you receive in fasting is in the act of praying. It allows us to experience more of him because he is everything. The reward of fasting is a deeper and more profound intimacy forged with God. To know him in greater capacities. To heighten my loving um, relationship with the Lord. It's, again, we chop these things up within scripture, but it's no no happenstance. It's not by accident that in Jesus' sermon directly after this is in verse 19. If you look with me, he just got done saying three times, and your father who sees in secret will reward you in the very next verse, which the verse was not there when Jesus spoke it. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, I would say reward, where neither moth nor rust destroys, nor thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So what Jesus is saying is this, stop living for the applause of man, your earthly reward, your earthly treasure. Live for the reward of heaven, where moth and rust do not come and it doesn't tarnish. Thieves can't come in and steal. It's Jesus. We get to experience him and know him in a more profound and deep level that there's something that comes within fasting when I go before the Lord and every moment throughout the day and I'm struggling to, to, to man, I'm like really hungry. Lord, remind me every time I'm hungry that I'm doing this, not for anyone else. I'm doing this to know you more. And so in that moment, I pause and pray and say, thank you, Lord, for allowing me to experience you in a height heightened and greater capacity. And today, Lord, I want to know you. And so every moment when I feel that hunger pain, I'm like, Lord, you are my sustenance. You are my, my, my all in all. I want to 
experience you in greater capacities. And there's something forged within the discipline that we get a reward, and the reward is more of Jesus. Nothing else. More of him. And God wants to meet you in that place. I'll, uh, this is exactly what Jesus did. If you read Luke chapter three, I don't have time to read it now, I'm probably over time already, but Luke chapter three, read it later. Jesus, before he ever does any ministry at all, goes into the wilderness for how long? 40 days. He's led there, he's tempted by Satan, he overcomes him in the middle of not eating for 40 days. And at the end of the day, what does it say happens after that? It says that Jesus leaves the wilderness, enters into his ministry, full of the Holy Spirit and the power of God. That's what Jesus wants for each one of you as you walk every single day. And if I'm called to walk in the footsteps of Jesus, why wouldn't I step in to the discipline that Jesus calls me to in fasting? Because there's something that God wants to do in meeting me there for his kingdom and his glory. So today I would just compel you to pray about it. What does it look like for you? Maybe it's just one day a week I take an hour or two or skip a meal and in those moments I'm just praying and asking the Lord to meet me there speak to me, all those different things. For some of you in this room, you have the ability, maybe it's a week during the year. You work up to that, or maybe it's a day every single week, a couple days a month. I don't know what it is for you. I know one thing is that if you are a follower of Jesus, the Spirit of God, the person of the Trinity lives in you. And I don't need to tell you what to do. The Holy Spirit will. And he's so good to lead you and guide you and direct you. My challenge is what God put on my heart is to press in to say, are you entering in? And if not, enter in. And when you do, don't live for the praise of man, live for the reward of heaven. God will meet you there and reward you in your doing because he's that good. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head over to woodsidebible.org slash connect to introduce yourself to us today.